Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon. Welcome back. I'm Greg Scordis filling in for our normal uh, host, uh, Boyd Matheson. Um, And it's been a pleasure to be here uh, yesterday and today. Uh, Yesterday when we ended, we talked about uh, the water shortage and the the drought that's going on and things that we can do. Um, Coincidentally, when I got home last night, there was some mail from our water district that indicated that you were not to use, not a suggestion, but a, but a directive, uh, not to use your culinary water, drinking water, uh, for irrigation. And they said you shouldn't even have a hose hooked up to your uh, spigot anymore because that, that's, not what the, that's not what we're doing because the water situation is so bad. I have never seen that in my 64 years. Uh, joining us this afternoon is Representative Joel Ferry from Box Elder County. His district is, uh, encompasses a lot of Brigham City. He's also a farmer, which I think gives him a very interesting perspective. Uh, Representative Ferry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Greg. This is such an important issue right now. I, I think it really is. I mean, maybe more than we ever have. So tell me, uh, on the on the ferry farm, how have things been different this year? Are you are you growing different crops? Are you doing more what I guess people call dry farming? Or are you not planting in areas that you would have in the past? You know, we're we're doing all of those things. But I think this year was so interesting because the the snowpack was actually at a decent level when we when we look back at this past winter. You know, we had in the Bear River drainage, which is what we're on, we had, you know, upwards of 80 plus percent snowpack and it just slowly dwindled, well, kind of rapidly dwindled. And we just never got any of the rains in the spring and it never built from that. And the ground was so dry to begin with. So this is really uncharted territory where we had, you know, in agriculture, you make plans a a year in advance. You're planting, um, you know, like I purchased my corn seed last year for this year. And I purchase, you know, I, I estimate how much water and what land and, and all that kind of preparation goes into it. And so this year, going into the year, we thought this was going to be a dry year, but nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, we've been going through drought cycles for the last 20 plus years. Um, and so really, agriculture across the state has really taken it in, you know, on the chin because this drought this time has been, it's been so dry, but then you add these extreme uh, high temperatures, it's hot temperatures on top of it. And it just, you know, compounds the problem that we're experiencing. And so, yes, we're on our farm, we're doing things like, uh, especially on, on a lot of our, pa- so, so we raise a lot of beef cattle. A lot of our pastures, they'll go dry because they're going to go dormant. And, you know, this winter, this next spring, they'll come back. Um, and so we kind of have a priority list. What's most important? 
down to what's least important and those things that have to have water because we've got the investment into and we water those and those things that can go without go without whether it's following ground or just making you know changes to our crop rotations so I read a study we're talking with representative Joel Ferry from Box Elder County that said uh, representative Ferry that that uh, agriculture actually consumes about 80% of the water used statewide. Um, given that, uh, it seems to me that the legislature could be looking directly at farmers and ways that they can conserve. Is that something that, that you're looking to do with the legislature this year? Um, yes, absolutely. And so agriculture on a, on a good year is going to consume 80%. This year, Greg, it's really interesting um, this year, agriculture has, has received about a 75% reduction in the amount of surface water that it's receiving. Um, that's a significant cut, but what that does is it allows, it kind of acts as a buffer. So on good years, we have the agriculture that can take the water. On these bad years like this year, we can really cut back and really tighten up the belt. Um, a, lot of our far- a lot of farmers that I know, I mean, they got one, maybe two irrigation cycles. That means they're going to get one crop of hay, and that's it for the entire year. Um, and so, agriculture kind of acts as, a, acts as a buffer right now. But, but in the bigger picture, what can we do? And this is something that I'm working on now. Uh, to your question of what can the legislature do? Because water is of public interest. I mean, all water in the state of Utah belongs to the state and is appropriated out to individuals to put to beneficial use. Um, and it can, you know, cities and farms and other, you know, other uses out there. And so where agriculture is such a huge user of water, it really is in the, in the best interest of, of everybody in the state of Utah to look at what can we do to help agriculture be more efficient, to optimize the water that we have so that we can get through these dry cycles and it doesn't have such a huge impact on, on everybody. Um, but the, when you're talking about water, you're talking such a broad scale, it's, it's really expensive. Um, and that's been historically has always been the the, the downfall or the, the impediment that, that exists out there. Um, you know, this year there's there's a bit of a, a, a windfall with the, the, the ARPA money. So the um, from the federal government, the relief money that's coming to the state of Utah. And and we as a legislature have and coordinating with the governor's office have really said, look, we signal that we're going to make a, a significant investment in our water infrastructure. And that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, building of dams and those kind of things. What it means is let's take the existing water that we have and what investments can we make to make it more efficient? Can we, what can we do to optimize the use of that water so that it's getting to where it needs to be in an efficient manner? Um, and, and it's going to be, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. It's just going to be significant um, from a historical perspective. The, the need and the demand is, is significantly greater than that. But it's going to be an, a great start to get us moving in the right direction. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, but the legislature has put aside $280 million for water conservation efforts. And the legislature yes. has to enact laws that are for the entire state. But I assume that what's what's good in Box Elder County may not necessarily be good in San Juan County. How do we address the differences around the state? And I, I think we're in a statewide drought but certainly certain, some regions are hit worse than others. Well, we, you're absolutely right. It is a, a statewide issue, yet solutions in Box Elder or Cache County are going to be different than solutions in San Juan or 
Kane or Washington County. And so we have to be flexible in how we allocate that, uh, you know, and appropriate that money. Um, one, you know, within our Department of, of uh, Water Resources, they've got the staff and the expertise to really help us formulate and guide how this, this, this funding will go, um, go out and how it can be made available. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and it can't be. Um, we've got to be very flexible, and we've got to be very conscientious of what's out there. Um, and and I also think, personally, I think that we really need to focus on where the need is. Where is, um, you know, you look at the rapid growth that's happening in, say, Washington County or along the Wasatch Front. Um, you know, what can we do to help offset that and mitigate that? And what policies are out there that can help to reduce the demand on some of that water as well? Um you know, when when I look at, at over the last decades, you know, it's it's not our farms that have expanded, but it's our, our, our urban communities, our, you know, our subdivisions and our houses. And that has put, you know, that's a pretty um, static demand and it's put a lot of strain on the system. But at the same time, what can we do to help, you know, mitigate that and, and make sure that there's water available for people? Like, like you had mentioned, you know, the bill you received, you're drinking water. They're saying don't even hook a hose up to your house. That, you know, that's a pretty uh, drastic move, but one that's necessary because water is, you know, essential to life, and we've got to make sure that we have that reliable resource. Representative Ferry, thank you so much for your time on this issue, and good luck. This is something that's so important, and it absolutely, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, has to be done. When we come back, uh, President Biden spoke today about voter reform. He compared some of the voter restrictions to Jim Crow laws. After the break, we'll talk about that. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.